Hay tanto que quiero contarte Hay tanto que quiero saber de ti Ya podemos empezar poco a poco Bienvenidos a Radio Menea I'm Miriam Soyla Pérez And I'm Beroyeti Flores And we are two Latinx friends with wildly different music tastes Each week we bring you music from the Latinx artists that we love And this week we are getting in our time machine and going back 20 years can't believe it's 20 years. What was to happening 2003. in 2003? <laughs> <laughs> We're old, yo. We're old. I was in college. Mm-hmm. Um, but what yeah. are you starting us off with? So this was a 2003 hit that I actually didn't realize was this old, honestly. Um, and it's by Julieta Venegas, and it's called Andar Conmigo. Let's take another listen. So I don't remember when I first heard this. I don't think it was in 2003, but um, but it's definitely probably the Julieta Venegas song I know the best and definitely one of her big hits. She was born in California, but raised in Tijuana as Mexican American and um, she is, yeah, I would say she's like a relatively well-known sort of like indie pop star. That's how I would categorize I feel her. I like she's like a fully, this was huge. This was like a fully pop star moment. Yeah. I remember she was on like MTV yeah. in Venezuela. So yeah. I don't think that you don't think she's indie. indie really ever describes her. Yeah. I mean, she has, she's a girl with a I guitar. I think something about her music Maybe it's more so indie, not in the sense that she's small, but indie in the sense that it's like a little bit different than like standard pop. Maybe that's like a misuse of the word indie, but um, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, she has something. I think she's she's got some, um, yeah, got something extra um, when I think about her. Uh, one thing that's cool that I learned is that she plays the accordion, which I. I'm a she fan does. of, <laughs> and it's just, she does play the I know it's a very difficult instrument to play. So props to her. Um, but yeah, she's still going her last, um, her last album was released this past year to Isodia. I actually had, I don't think I've heard anything from it. Um, but she had a big hit that I also really like of hers from 2006. Um, called Mewoy. It's another one that I'm sure people would recognize if they heard it. Cause it was also pretty successful. So you heard her. Yeah, I feel like I was in Venezuela around the time that this was out. And yeah, you were like visiting yes, I heard her back then. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. very big. Yeah. I don't know if it was big in the US. I think that's the part that I'm not sure about. No, it wasn't. Yeah. But there's a giant 
music market that has nothing to do with the United States. And this is definitely, she was huge there. Yeah, for sure. Well, I thought we could talk a little bit about like what was happening in the year 2003, just to sort of set the context. Um, and I know there's yeah, like, yeah. musical things that we want to talk about. But when I looked at yeah, when, when I went back to 2003, I was like, okay, what was happening? I mean, there's a lot of like political things in the U.S. happening. Um, and the research I did was like very U.S. specific. Um, but the Iraq War. So George Bush was president. He invaded Iraq. He was already he had already invaded Afghanistan post 9/11. So that was like big thing happening politically in 2003. Um, yeah, it definitely comes into play with one of the songs that I brought. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Were you part of like the uh, anti-war? There were a lot of, like, demonstrations. I remember there was a huge march. I think that might have been a little bit later. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, 9-11 is what politicized me. Mm. It's so funny. I was getting a facial a few months ago, and somebody was like, oh, so you are politicized in 2016, or were you politicized in 2014? And I was like, I was politicized on 9-11, bro. Wow. Like, interesting. Were you, in, were you a freshman in college? I was yeah. a freshman in college. Yeah. And I was like, this is scary and wild and... It was all, you know, like the Bush era, I think, um, was a really intense time. So like an interesting question, like when, when were you politicized? I feel like my politicization process happened more in like beats, you know, over time than like in one moment. Because I, I, growing up, I had a very strong sense of like political opinions about things like abortion and like homosexuality. Mm. And even though I grew up with like a really conservative father, I just like had my own sense of what was right. Um, and then, you know, I wasn't as connected to the rock war. I mean, I remember people and I was in college, I was in high school in nine 11 and then went to college and there were definitely a lot of people doing like anti-war demonstrations. And like, I was not in support of the war at all, but it wasn't a political issue that like engaged me. I didn't go to the March, but I remember people going, um, but I did go to like March women's lives. So I think I was more drawn in by like reproductive rights. And so, that was sort of the initial stuff. And then, yeah, the reproductive justice movement, you know, and where we met at Latina Institute, like definitely helped politicize me mm-hmm. in terms of a broader, broader framework, a broader understanding, bringing um, more complexity to these issues, you know? So. Yeah. I guess when I say what politicized me, like I also, you know, had like a sense of like, you know, justice my entire life and like wanting to pursue that. But I think that like, when I think about 9-11 and I think about – this is the first thing that made me think about, like, very large structures and what we could do to interrupt very right. large structures. You know, yeah. like, what, like, actions right. people could take right. to do that. Yeah. No, that's fair. I've been um, recently listening to a lot of, like, history podcasts. You, you know, I talked about this offline. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And one thing that it's giving me is a little bit of context, I think, for – and it's not like I didn't know this because, like, I grew up with some context for history, but, like, being more, like, listening to more depth about, like, you know, Mediterranean, European history um, is just, like, how constant war has been historically. Like, that it's just been a kind of never-ending <laughs> cycle in certain places and in certain parts of the world. I won't say it's been true everywhere, Horrifying. but... but um So... Yeah, while, like, obviously the Iraq War and the Afghanistan invasion and all the other things that, like, we've witnessed um, are really big deals. And, like, there's still places where war is a constant reality. Um, We we live, actually, in a world that's, like, much less at war than, I think, in times past. And I feel like it's, for me, it's easy to, like, 
decontextualize our moment sometimes when I think about the, the mm. bigger context of like, it's like borders used to constantly be crossed by, you know, it's like as soon as one empire has taken a city, the next empire, the next King is trying to retake the city. Like it just was like a never ending back and forth. There was like very little stability to borders at all. Um, so I don't know. It's just interesting to think about that and then go back. I got so little, um, non-American history in my education in public schools in North Carolina that I feel like mm-hmm. I literally had one year of non-U.S. history, which is absurd. Um, and Damn. so the context is really... And then I went to uh, went to a, a liberal arts college where all I got were like depth, you know, in-depth about what particular topic. There wasn't a lot of like survey stuff. So I just, I feel like I'm closing a lot of gaps now, but it does make me think about wow. the context of these wars and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. I've I love history. I'm very fascinated mm-hmm. by it and I feel like it really anchors how I politically see the world. It's like it really anchors my political understanding of everything. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I think it's helping me like yeah, fill in some gaps. Um well the other the other two things I want to mention politically in this year was the Department of Homeland Security became a thing. Um and that was mm-hmm. a direct result of Bush and the war on quote unquote war on terror 9-11 and that has had like some really intense consequences for people particularly immigrants and people of color and then um hispanics in the language of the census bureau surpassed african-americans again in the language of the census bureau as the largest minority group in 2003 so i think that's particularly interesting when we think about latino music and like the sort of rise of um, latinx music in the u.s um, if you just think about the demographics, it was, I think, 38 million Hispanics in the U.S. in 2003. Yeah. And I mean, that is, uh, I would say, has to be tied to NAFTA, right? Yeah. Which, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, came 95 um, through in yeah. 1995. Mm-hmm. And then that caused this like really massive migration yeah. um, from Mexico specifically um, into the United States. Totally. So, you know, the songs I brought were more kind of like top of the charts things that were happening in 2003. And I think it's going to point to like a pattern that um, or like a dynamic that I know you want to talk about, Beto. So why don't you let us know what you're bringing and, and what that dynamic is? So, yeah, my first song is uh, one of the early, um, you know, we've talked about the history of reggaeton on this podcast before and we've also pointed you to the podcast loud which is a really in-depth history of reggaeton so you know that can all serve as broader context for this but so this was also a time when it was like uh, the hot latin 100 for example was like so many ballads and was really ignoring this like r- by 2003 a burgeoning um, reggaeton movement. Right. And I am bringing a classic from Mass Flow, Volume 1. This is Metele Sazon by Looney Tunes and Teo Calderon. Oye, Andunga la Borincana, Dominical Chanchana, y para República Dominicana, con Looney Tunes y Noriega, Mass Flow, Mass Flow. Ellos creí que ellos sabían de ti, Looney. <laughs> Fuimos a fuego, para todas esas choris en los New York. Oye, métele esa son batería en reggaetón, que los demás lo pone calderón, el saborioso, el más guapachoso, el que tiene a los guasones nerviosos, el chicoqui, más bellaqueo que no es loqui, este caballo no corre con yo, que baila lo de este es cosa buena, pero no me hable con 
from the very, very classic um, Mass Flow Volume 1. Mass Flow was the producer duo Looney Tunes um, sort of album with collaborating with all these different artists, but it was like the producer's albums. And so all songs produced um, by then by Looney Tunes, who we've talked about extensively on the show. They were two um, kids of, I think, Dominican and Puerto Rican descent in... Massachusetts, who mm. somehow got like you know <laughs> looped into the reggaeton movement, it's incredible, yeah. Um, but yeah, Metele Sazon with Tego is just such a classic, it's so incredible. And this was before, like, I would say, like, the blow up moment globally for reggaeton happened like in 2004 ish with yeah. Gasolina, yeah. and like, it had been like bubbling before then, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and but this is like, this is like, it's about to fucking burst. Like, there's people, this is it has by this time, it's like left Puerto Rico, it's not just like in La Calle de Puerto Rico, there's some people like in the United States that are listening to it, and um so but if you were to look at like the latin music industry at the time latin music media um all of that they're just like you know casually ignoring all of that stuff because it wasn't um you know really on the path of a lot of like you know like ballady white respectable music Mm -hmm. um so i thought it was so interesting i have a couple of reggaeton songs to sort of you know drill down on a little bit of that pattern um and so this is a really really good one couldn't not bring it yeah i didn't recognize the title but i definitely recognize the song you know like um once i heard it it's one of my tego favorites to be honest it's It's so good it's really good it's really good so i know we probably talked about this show before i don't remember did you first get introduced to reggaeton like visiting Venezuela or were you hearing it when you were in the US? I guess it depends on what you call reggaeton. Right. I um, was my first introduction to something that could be called or turned into reggaeton was um, Cuento de la Cripta by El Chombo. Okay. So uh, all of those El Chombo songs from like um, the from Panama that really became what um that like became the foundation for what would become reggaeton later on in puerto rico i knew when they came out from venezuela um because also venezuela and panama are like right there you know yeah um and venezuela at least the part that my family's from is very caribbean so um so that um 
I, I was introduced to that. But then the Puerto Rico version of like what would come out of Puerto Rico, like I wasn't introduced to that until it came to the United States because I don't really, I mean, I we had like some Puerto Rican friends um, growing up, but, um, but not a ton right. where the Latino population in where I was growing up um in the United States was predominantly Mexican. So there weren't a lot of ways right. to get at right. um to get at the stuff that was happening right. in Puerto Rico. But the but so I guess depends on what you call reggaeton and what you don't. Right. But, yeah. And then once it was like, you know, we're we're talking like two thousand three, two thousand five, like that sort of era when reggaeton is actually getting out of Puerto Rico and onto the sort of the international airwaves. You're in a college campus in Minnesota, Wisconsin? I was in Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Yeah, that's right. Was it making it there? Like, were you hearing it there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was everywhere. Yeah. I, it was so, everywhere. Yeah, I mean, yeah. my awareness of it didn't happen until I went to Ecuador, but it was 2005. So it was like the right time also for it to be everywhere. But I don't know. I don't know if I would have. It would. I think it would have taken me longer if I hadn't had that introduction to it. Because in mm-hmm. my, you know college campus in suburban pennsylvania i wasn't particularly connected to um (laughs) yeah music in general let alone like latin music or like the music i was listening to was very like white america like the people that i was friends with were listening to like god i can't even think of some of the people but anyway it's just not it's not this so that was what catapulted me into it and then like i kind of nursed my own interest in it um pretty independently and then once you know went to new york city and worked in a Latino organization and met you and a bunch of other folks. Then I was like with it, people who were also interested in the music I was interested in. Yeah. 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 So do you feel like, I don't know if you know this, but 2003, I mean, rap in the U S is also like obviously pretty significant um, in terms of musical. Yeah. By 2003, I feel like it's fairly entrenched right. as the pop music right. of this generation. Right. I think that that right. switch started in the 90s. In the 90s. Right. So whereas like the Latin top 100, you know, sort of charts and are really ignoring, you know, reggaeton and I'm assuming Latin rap would be in that category as well. Like the U.S. sort of based music market is, you know, rap is really coming to predominance or having having been in predominance for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. the, the point I want to make, I think, around that is like it's in some ways if you if you think about rap the 90s and early aughts rap in the U.S., like, it then also kind of sets up, um, although obviously there's an interest in reggaeton and music that precursor to reggaeton in Latin America, but then you also have a U.S. audience that's more primed for music like reggaeton that has very clear connections and, like, musical ties to Yeah, rap. very, like, a queer hip-hop lineage. Right. So that there's yeah. some, you know people are ready to hear that hear gasolina and they, it's like they have some sense of it's not totally you know quote-unquote foreign in that way because there are right the roots. general american population has a context right. for like a music that is very tied to um hip-hop and right. its legacy for sure exactly yeah well this song, next song that i picked kind of brings together like the pop and the rap um in a collaboration that i did not remember <laughs> this is so ever funny happened. i did not remember this one either <laughs> i know so let's take a listen to i want you which is talia and fat joe joey cracked the dawn talia tm you're just another winner yeah 
so hard to be an R&B girly in this one. I mean, honestly, she's like, basically trying to be J-Lo. I was going to say, if you had told me this was J-Lo, I'd been like, sure. You know, like it doesn't, it does not sound to me like Thalia. I mean, she doesn't sing in English a ton, but she does have other things in English. Um, yeah. But yeah. I mean, it sounds like Thalia's voice for sure, but it, it's so, yeah, she's trying to do she's something. Like, that like context. <laughs> It's complete. I mean, she's just like she would do telenovela songs. Right. What's she doing collaborating with Fat Joe? Right. She's just trying to get that J Lo money. I guess so. <laughs> I mean, yeah, 2002 oh was God. Jenny from the Block, you know, so that was like a definitely a big moment for for J Lo. So we've got you know on the heels of that, maybe that was really what she was like. Oh, there's room for a Latina That's in this market. Definitely what's happening yeah. here. That's definitely what's happening yeah. here because seeing Thalia like try to like. It's just as awkward as when she's doing reggaeton now. It's just like, girl, like, you are a novena balladeer. <laughs> like, it and just like feels pop so singer. awkward. Yeah. And it feels a little awkward and a little um, contrived, I guess, is right. what it feels like. Right. But what a time. Yeah, this yeah. is like, even her outfit, everything, <laughs> like, her movements, yeah. her dancing, the way she's trying uh-huh. to sing, it's like she's clearly trying to get on that J-Lo Yeah, way. 100%. I mean, she can sing better than J-Lo can, but this is not her best. This is not her best, I don't think. I mean, it's a good song, but it's not, I don't think, yeah, it's not Talia at her best, I don't think. Um, I don't know, I mean, it's like, you know, she's had a huge career, like, with, you know, decades of success, telenovelas, music, you know, awards out the wazoo so i don't know i guess at some point you want to try to do what you can or expand or you know i don't know i don't want to always see it as just like opportunistic but it is a business so it's hard to know when it's like somebody's just creatively flexing and when they're just like trying to jump on the bandwagon you know yeah, to me, this feels like it's very hard to not see it as contrived. It's not even that it's bad. No, it's a good it's song. It's not even that it's bad. I think, like, the beat's cute. Like, Fat Joe is good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that even that it's bad. It's just, like, I just don't believe her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't I just yeah. don't believe her. It doesn't feel right. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I think we brought Dalia probably to our telenovelas episode and maybe some other times. But, yeah, big pop, big Mexican pop star huge career decades and decades of music um well and i think that you were thinking about bringing a quien le importa by talia mm -hmm. which came out i think the year before actually yeah 2002 2002. Uh but that is like a very classic song like she's like covering this um this 
song by this Spanish band right. that is just like a, has become like really iconic Thalia right. and like it's like okay this I believe <laughs> yeah yeah so it's interesting like put these side by side you're like what's going on here um yeah yeah no she's I mean she's an incredible musician and she has but yeah those are the songs I think of there's a few others of hers that are in that vein that that's the stuff that I think of when I think of Thalia um interesting I didn't know but Emilio Estefan has produced some of her albums which like makes sense I mean he's had his hand, especially in people who are trying to cross over to the U.S. market. He's had his hand in a lot yeah, of Yeah, and this was like a big Emilio Estefan bringing Era. Latin mm-hmm. American artists over for handpicking Latin American artists to cross over yeah. era. Yeah, definitely. You know? Definitely. It was a big, yeah, it was a big time. And then the art, the next artist I'm going to bring is also one of his like collaborators too. Um and then Fat Joe, I don't know if we've had him on the show yet. Surprisingly, I I can't remember. A, um, I know that we have. Time, I know that we yeah, have. it would surprise me yeah. if we hadn't. He's from the Bronx. He's Cuban and Puerto Rican. Um, I saw a sweet. I don't anic- know if Fat Joe was Cuban. I thought he was just Puerto Rican. Yeah, no, Cuban and Puerto Rican, according to his Wikipedia page. Learn something new. Yeah. Um, and there was a sweet interview that I saw quoted where he. Um, was asked about like homosexuality for some reason. There was some sort of like scandal about somebody getting caught with like a transgender sex worker or something. And he was like, um, he's like, well, I'm not gay, but I believe that gay people should not hide their sexuality and should stand by who they are. And then he said that it's possible he's done songs with gay rappers and they're likely gay, gay, gay people besides rappers in the rap industry who are in the closet. And he described it as the quote, gay mafia. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> but i don't know i was just happy to see him being like supportive you know i mean it's it's neutral yeah. but it's supportive <laughs> and uh um, yeah because you know it doesn't there's a lot of homophobia for he sure. had a little moment fat joe recently because of the verses um because of a verses and you know he was like yeah the price is going up which was a cute little fat joe viral moment in like oh, 2021 nice you missed that? Yesterday's price is not today's price? I missed it. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, are we on the same internet? I mean... We're not. I think there's a Venn diagram. And there's an overlap. There's definitely a Venn diagram. And then there's some not overlaps. <laughs> we are definitely, yeah, yeah. We're on different parts of the internet sometimes. All right. Your next song yeah, is, well. is a fave of mine. What do you bring? Yeah, in? yeah. This is like this is. I think of this song. I actually associate it with you because you love it so Aww, much. I love this that. is a song by Don Omar, and it's called Dire. Ya no le mientas, me llamaste tu error. 
por mí no pidas perdón, digo, queda de ti el que lo perdone, el que lo olvide o lo abandone, porque tú lloras no se compone, entonces a mí dame otra noche, otra, otra noche, otra, ay que yo no te bote, otra, otra noche, otra, aunque tú vuelvas. So yeah, so this song is um, on the classic Don Omar album, The Last Dawn, um, and there's so much about it. I feel like the part that I associate with you specifically is the, the met on the dance floor mm. situation. Mm-hmm. I feel like is your like your personal fantasy meet cute. Um, <laughs> also, you taught me the term meet cute the other day. I oh heard it God. in a podcast, and I was like, how would I even know what that meant <laughs> if it wasn't forbidden? Yeah, see, um, <laughs> my parts of the internet. Yeah, yeah, just like yeah. Um, I love that. You know, this is the uh, the romantic comedy terminology that I don't yeah. know unless didn't know um, you needed. You know, I'm talking to you. It's yeah. a helpful. It's a helpful <laughs> phrase. Yeah, I love that you associate this with me. I because I I heard it in 2005. I would have assumed it was from that era, but of course it makes sense that it was already out in the world for a little while. Yeah, I mean, it had sort of this outsized impact, right? And I mean, the other thing that I wanted to talk about in um, is that like a lot of these songs, like it, of course, it was still being played in 2005. It was still huge because it came out in 2003, but then like people were like digging for more and more reggaeton, and then like people got further mileage also from some of this stuff. And um, I'm also thinking about like. In 2003, there were all these songs that like were still really hot that came out the year before. Like I'm thinking about like Obsesión by Aventura mm. was everywhere in 2003. I feel like right. at least early 2003, I feel like it was still like all over the place. And like Juanes, like Un Día Normal by Juanes was like also I feel like that came out in 2002 also. But like I feel like Adiós Le Pido was everywhere. Mm-hmm. That song with Nelly Furtado was mm-hmm. everywhere. Um, so I feel like just like those vibes also were in the mix, mm-hmm. even though they came out the year beforehand. Right. Christina Aguilera also was like big at this time, although she wasn't really um, emphasizing her like Ecuadorian roots, um, but she was part of this. Oh, time. no. Maybe like, I feel like I wouldn't maybe say actively hiding because she kept her last name, but you know, it was not even remotely a thing. But I, but yeah, it's just, it's so interesting because when you think about like what a lot of people were listening to, like at least in Puerto Rico and um, what was about to blow up and like the Latin Hot 100 and then like the regular Hot 100 and what sort of like Latin songs made it up, right? made it like it there, you know? Yeah. It's just really, really an interesting time. Right. 20 years has changed, changes so much. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's. I don't know that we could have imagined this moment now, 20 years ago. Maybe, maybe people would have seen it, but yeah. the kind of yeah. like, I mean, and we're, well, if we listen to our Latin booms episode, like I feel like this we're right now we're in a weird, like straddle era in 2003, because like, I feel like this, like Dalia Fat Joe, um, track and maybe another track you bring, you're going to bring mm-hmm. is like, part of the come down of the Latin boom that happened at the end of the nineties. Right. And there was like a little dip where like people were like, I don't know, maybe this is a phase. And then like the reggaeton boom happened. Yeah. Um, but 
but yeah, so like it's just like we're like in this like interesting in between era where like we're emerging out of like the pop balladeers and J Lo's and into um, the reggaeton boom. Yeah, so it's a yeah interesting flip moment. That's that that two thousand three is. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it's like the nineties and then like the mid mid to late aughts were like really different times for me like yeah. the kind of music that was popular was like a really big shift away from yeah the balladeers like john cicada for example was really big in the 90s you know stuff like that yeah and like your next yeah pick. and our next pick um which is ricky martin let's take a listen to one of his 2003 hits which is called talves young for this kind of part of Ricky Martin's career because um, I mean I know I was hearing some of it probably on the radio in Miami like in the 90s but um, I think if I was a little bit older I might be more into him because he would have I would have been like following along a little bit more because it's not like the type of music he sings is like stuff I don't like but because of living la vida loca he's just so cheesy to me that I almost can't like really connect with his like other music from before that I interesting i think of this as like right within the Pérez. yeah that's um, what i'm saying lexicon right i know so are you did you not know ricky martin before living Navidad i don't Lexicon? think so i don't think so um i didn't have any awareness of him yeah i mean again like this is yeah this he is was a, like a superstar yeah. in latin america beforehand so yeah. i think if you would like maybe like had grown up in latin america or maybe even if you grown up in miami i mean i'm like, sure i heard it because it no, would have been on the radio 100%, like the radio that my parents listened to, but it doesn't, him as an artist doesn't stand out. I don't know that, I don't know if my father had like his CDs or not. He probably did, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. I yeah, just think he was like, sort of like, he was like boy band vibes. Yeah. I don't know if your dad would have had yeah. his CDs. Yeah. I, know, yeah. Maybe not. not. Maybe he was like, maybe like he was, the was audience for Ricky yeah. Martin back then was like, 
you know, teenage girls, young women, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. like, it's possible. You're I right. knew he was because I was like a ten year old girl. Right. <laughs> but yeah, um, I'm not sure you're that fair. like your yeah, father, who was like a salsa Ricky and Martin. you know yeah. Cuban music scholar, would have like had a. <laughs> Uh, Ricky Martin CD. Well, to be fair, he's, he's, he's written about music, but he's not technically a music scholar. But um, that's fair. And also <laughs> Puerto Rican, you know. I mean, my father listened to Puerto yeah. Rican music, but not as much. You're right. He's more pop. But yeah, I think I think I was just a little bit too young to be into him. And then once we get li- Living Ali Loca, I'm just like, this is so eye-rolly to me, you know, that I, I struggle to, to relate to him. But I think for that reason, I, I like overlook how successful he's been because he's had this like epic career that you know way before living la vida loca even though that was a big moment for like crossover and you know latin music in the u.s and whatnot Um, but yeah menudo and then um his own solo career and um collaboration with emilio stefan he was another artist that emilio worked with um what was interesting is i looked i looked when i was researching him a little bit he actually got rejected from menudo twice um and didn't get in until his third audition because they said he was too short which he was That's a so kid because he's six yeah, feet he was tall. A literal child, <laughs> right? And also, is Ricky Martin short? He's not. He's six feet tall, but he was fifteen, or you know, so he probably had like a later puberty. Is really what happened. Yeah. You know, they work no, with so boys. You, I mean, you, know. you age out of Menudo at sixteen, so the idea that someone could be too short is probably just about. Yeah, they need to be a little yeah, bit more so wild, manly. Yeah. You know, it's like that like weird thing of like we're sort of sexualizing these teenage boys because that's the boy band thing right it's like their, their heart throbs and so if they look too much like so kids, funny yeah and then he ended up being like one of their biggest success stories so clearly they were wrong about him um <laughs> they were right eventually <laughs> yeah they got it right eventually and then you know obviously the thing that most people know about him is that he's gay and it was like a you know he didn't come out until until 2011 he had a lot of romantic relationships with women that were public in the decades before that. And he kind of, you know, defends that even though he identifies as gay now, he's like, you know, those are authentic relationships. And like, I believe that. Oh, he's not suggesting that they were beards. Yeah. And I, I don't think so. Given the like, number of them and there was yeah, even like i don't like, know bro if i believe that but you can say you know i, I don't know fascinating my sense is that he was i mean i you know i think you know there's lots sexuality looks different in lots of ways but even one of the women even had yeah. a fil- had a, a miscarriage like i don't think they were like 100 percent beard situations you know um but yeah after the fact and he said since he's like you know i could have uh, my sexuality could include women but like i don't i'm like more into men you know so he's not like but anyway, who knows? You know, we'll never, probably never know the truth. Um, and yeah, that, you know, him being a Latino in Hollywood in a particular moment when there were not that many. Um, and then feeling like being gay was just too much for his, too much of a risk for his reputation. And so he, you know, avoided a lot of the conversations until he finally decided to come out in his memoir in 2011. When everybody was like, duh. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, oh. But it okay. was a little bit of a stir. It was a little bit of a stir. Yeah. I mean, it was a little, he's, he wasn't as obvious as like, you know, Chavela or Huanga, right? Because he has this, you know, they would, the in like drag world, you'd say he was more trade. Like he, he passes more yeah. as like a straight cis man. More of a mask. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. more masculine. Um, so maybe easier to hide. So what do you, yeah, yeah. So what do you know about this, like, these weird accusations that came out recently from, like, a family member? Yeah, so his nephew, basically someone came out, like, last summer and asked for a restraining order in a Puerto Rican court because they said that Ricky Martin was 
stalking them post a relationship and Ricky Martin's married to this model. He's been, they've been married a long time or since 2017, not long, no, 2007. Yeah. They've been married a long time anyway. Um, and then it was revealed that the person was his nephew who's like 21. So very Ugh. potentially like horrific thing, right. That, that, you know, not only would be talking about something like stalking, but also like incest and like, a minor um, or someone who's like on the edge of minor, you know, hood being 21. Um, the, so I, I looked into it yesterday. The um, allegations were dismissed. The nephew, the young person, 21, the, the man, he dropped all the charges and he said he was doing it of his own accord that nobody was, in, you know, encouraging him to do that. I, I feel like that seems like that story is not true, but I don't really have yeah, anything. But it like feels my gut, very suspicious. Yeah, but it just doesn't yeah, there's seem nothing except for like you yeah. Know. I mean, and there's not you know there weren't. It's not like other men have come out of the woodwork. I mean, like I was also you know. So it just mm-hmm. it doesn't add up very well. And um and there were conversations about this young person's mental health and whatever. So, but we know that you know people who are survivors often do drop chart. You know, it's like it's really there's really no way to know. Ricky Martin is suing him for like death information blah 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 um which is frustrating but also typical i think in these kinds of situations and then there's been a couple of other things i found when i was um looking into it about one of his former managers like accused him of um withholding a bunch of like wages that she's owed and said that he was like a toxic boss there's like some stuff like that but i don't know i think my um i think my inclination is to say that that there's something not totally off about there's something off about that story and so i'm not going to be like oh yeah, you know Ricky Martin's can definitely never probably know an abuser or whatever but yeah. it's not like this litany of men coming forward yeah, it's it not like so obvious right. like some people can like a deny a deny deny but it's like okay bro there's right. 20 people that right. have the same story exactly but, yeah and like yeah. I, d- I do but think it it's, does seem yeah. very suspicious it seems suspicious and i do think that sometimes people you know i we have a very strong bent toward like believe survivors which i think is the right inclination and not every person who accuses somebody of abuse is, is yeah. telling the truth you know so yeah, um it's a true. it's like a complicated thing to walk but yeah i saw that and i was like this just seems something seems off about this so mm-hmm. more to be revealed potentially if there's yeah if other things come out um but i think the funniest thing about ricky martin was when he had um he became a father via surrogacy when he was still theoretically straight <laughs> No in way. In 2008. Yeah, 2008. He had God, t- I don't remember the timeline sons, of that, but I think you're, but yeah, his that's twin wild. sons. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and he said bro. it was just like. Are you telling me that Ricky Martin can't find a lady I to know. knock up? <laughs> and he said that it was because it was a quicker route than adoption to being a father and whatever. So I was like, okay, man, you're like, at this point, you're being pretty obvious about this, so. But people yeah. are allowed to come out in their own time. I don't think anybody has to be yeah, forced. Yeah, he doesn't owe anybody his outness. So, and he, you, you know, know. Shout out him for taking his own time, I guess. Right. And he has, they have four kids now. And those boys are, yeah, they're almost grown up. Um, and yeah, I mean, he, you can't say he didn't have an impact. Even though he came out, you know, much later than he, his career high or whatever, he, you know, it still had an impact. And it was still a big deal to have like a out gay Latino musician in that time so pop star mm-hmm. all right what are you going to take us out with so i'm taking us in a completely different direction mm-hmm. um from my other two 
but this is a song that I really remember from that time and again was just like such a like a peak Bush era political song that um, it seemed really of the time. This is Frijolero by Molotov. Yo ya estoy hasta la madre De que me pongan sombrero Escucha entonces cuando digo No me llames frijolero Ya que existe algún respeto No metamos las narices No que inflamos la moneda Haciendo guerra a otros países Te pagamos con petróleo O intereses nuestra deuda Mientras tanto no sabemos se queda con la feria a que nos hagan la fama de que somos vendedores de la droga que sembramos ustedes son consumidores Don't call me gringo you fucking beaner Stay on your side of the goddamn river Don't call me gringo you beaner No me digas beaner Mr. Puñetero Te sacaré un susto por racista y culero No me llames frijolero so have you heard this? No, I hadn't, surprisingly. Well, interesting. Yeah, I feel like Molotov was, like, really big around this time, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, like, they had that song, like, Si Señor, which is, I think, before this? I don't know. But anyway, like, this is from Dance Dance Denso. Um, or this is from their album Dance and Dense Denso and I feel like to me it's just like very representative of its era of like sort of like Bush era politics right like yeah. the chorus is basically this dialogue of like mutual insult, insults between like some racist gringo and like Mexicans resisting yeah. and um, you know Molotov is a Mexican band they're from Ciudad de Mexico and in this song, they're calling out like some of like the socio-political ironies of how the U.S. positions itself in the world versus what it actually like how it actually behaves in um, just like some discourses that were very like of that era and you know are still relevant today. But like um, you know, like they're talking about like the drug war and. Um, you know, like that has been a conversation that's been timely since it began. But um, you know, 20 years ago, weed was still deeply, deeply criminalized in a way that's really changed um, since then. Um, and they talk in the song about how it's like, oh, you call us drug dealers, but who's who's using the drugs, assholes? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who knows? 100%. And and they're also talking about like the U.S. is this like profit-seeking warmonger, which like as we talked about already in the context of like the Iraq War and like you know like you have to remember that this is like. You know, like, fully, not just after 9-11, we were, like, indiscriminately bombing the Middle East because there wasn't, like, a state to blame, like, a country to blame. Um, But there was, like, a quick pivot onto invading Iraq under this flimsy claim of weapons of mass destruction, which later um, was proven to be false. But, like, there's a lot monetarily to be gained um, in terms of oil wealth. So that was, like, something that seemed very clear 
to most people um, who had like two brain cells to rub together at the time. Um, And um, and so it just felt like very not just like nostalgically for me, like the sound like of that era, because I knew this song then, but also like politically and um, really dealing with things that were right, right there at that time Mm -hmm. and that have in some ways changed and in some ways haven't changed at all. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So fucking complicated. Um, one thing I, I found in my research is that Thalia, unfortunately, um, performed at George W. Bush Cinco de Mayo event at the white house. Yeah. (laughs) I mean the fact that he even had a Cinco de Mayo event, like I'm pretty sure fucking Trump was like, absolutely not. Um, but then the fact that she performed, I was like, really dude, so. Really? I would not be surprised if Trump had a Cinco de Mayo event, actually. Well, I don't know. I know he didn't do some of the stuff that everybody has done, like some iftar and things like that. You know, like he kind of went against yeah. certain things. But um, but yeah, so a little bit way to be like a little tone deaf there, I think. Be performing at yeah. the White House in the middle of this era. Um, but no, I'm glad to know about this. I did not know this song. And yeah, it's very timely. And even the the video, um, the music video, like the beginning, it's like this sort of classic scene of somebody like pulling up looking for workers and like these dudes, you know, jump in the back of the truck, right? Like to go work on someone's construction site or whatever, be like under the table, you know, wage earners. And then this like racist interactions that I'm sure are part of that story all the time. Yep. Absolutely. All right, y'all. Thank you so much for getting on this time machine mm-hmm. with us. How much has changed in 20 years? Wow, wow, wow. I don't feel a Incredible. day older, though. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. I'm glad that those knees and those joints are still, you know, doing that their thing. That is such thing. a lie. I was, like, running many, many miles every day playing Ultimate Frisbee at this time in my life, and I cannot run those many miles anymore. <laughs> now I'm playing the old people's sport, pickleball. <laughs> it's great. It's great. Oh, my God. Amazing. Uh, but yeah thanks y'all all the info about these songs are in our show notes at RileyMenea.com and check out us on Instagram and Twitter while it's still barely holding on to a life raft over there <laughs> and we have a newsletter that we put together for y'all every single week with what we're reading what we're into all sorts of little details so sign up for that if you would be into us in your inbox And thanks so much to Maite for your editing. We will see y'all next week. Hasta la próxima, y'all. Bye. Bye.